Good morning. It's good to be back with you. I've been out of town for a couple of weeks. I got to watch online as Michael preached his last couple of sermons here with us before heading out to Oregon. And it was good to hear from him again and get to watch that with you. But it's also good to be back with you today. And a couple things just as we get started real quickly. If you want to go ahead and put this up on the screen for a minute, my iPad up there, I'm going to talk about what I've written over here. I made plans while we were gone, and we'll see how those plans hold. Um, but I talked to a few of you after services the past few weeks about knowing in advance where we're going to be so that you could text through passages in advance before we even come in here on Sunday mornings. And I love that idea. It's a great idea. Today, we're jumping into 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. We're going to spend at least two weeks, maybe three. We'll just depend on how long it takes us. There's a lot of stuff in those two chapters. Um, if you would like to start studying through those on your own the next couple of weeks, though, texting on your own, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, and I think as we read this first section of it today, you're going to see um, why I felt like it was an appropriate place for us to be during this transition period, uh, during the transition from Michael being the primary congregational teacher most Sunday mornings to me being in that role. I think it's a really good place for us to be. And then Matthew 16, 13 through 28, and Matthew 18, 10 through 35 are going to be our next couple of weeks once we finish those two chapters of 1 Corinthians. And the reason I picked those is those are the only two places out of all four Gospels where we see the word church on the lips of Jesus. Um, and that may sound weird to you, but you have to remember the church didn't exist yet. You still had the Old Testament, Old Covenant, uh, the Jewish temple, synagogue, and it was after Jesus' death and resurrection that the church is born in the book of Acts. And so we see two references to the church. And I just thought during a time of transition, almost a time of reboot out of the pandemic, um, and also getting ready to launch back into just school starting, fall, all that kind of stuff by that period of time, this would be a great time for us to just come back to foundation and say, Jesus mentions the church these two times. What does he say? Like primary foundational things for us as the church. And then the plan, Lord willing, if, uh, if this is the way it goes, is we'll come out of that and into the book of Acts and probably spend the fall walking uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the book of Acts as the church is born and Jesus builds his church by his spirit to see what are some things that, that we can learn from that about. This is who the church is. This is who the church is when Jesus is the one building his church and when the Spirit is the one doing the work and see what he has to say to us out of the book of Acts. And so I just wanted you to know this is tentative planning, uh, all rights for it to be interrupted or changed in some way, but 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 today, Matthew 16, 13 through 28, Matthew 18, 10 through 35, and then the book of Acts. And I'm guessing we'll be in the book of Acts starting in Acts sometime in August. So, that's the first thing. Second thing, hope that you saw uh, your elements for the Lord's Supper in your chair as you came in. If for some reason you didn't have one, there's plenty around you in empty chairs, and you can grab one of those. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper together um, at the end of the message, and then the worship team will come up to lead us in a couple more uh, songs of worship at the end of that, just so that you can be prepared in your heart and mind that that's on the way. And then also, I know that today is the 4th of July and Independence Day, and I wanted to say a few words about that, and just in general, uh, our approach to things like that. This is a good day, and it's a day for us to be thankful. There's lots of things for us to celebrate and thank God for. But in general, when we have days like this, Mother's Day, 
Father's Day, when the 4th of July falls on a Sunday, holidays that aren't explicitly Christian holidays. Do you know what I mean by that? Christmas is explicitly Christian. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Easter, explicitly Christian, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Mother's Day is explicitly Hallmark, right? (laughs) Father's Day, too. Fourth of July is explicitly a national holiday. And it's not those are bad things. I love my mom, and I'm thankful for her, and my dad. We've been with them for two weeks, and so today's nice to be back. Um, (laughs) Now, my parents are great, and we had a great time with them. But on days like this, I think it is important for us to say, hey, we come... We're thankful for Mom on Mother's Day, and hopefully all the time, and Dad on Father's Day, and and we're thankful for the freedoms we have in this country. But also, we don't primarily come together on a Sunday morning as the gathered body of Jesus because of this country or because of the 4th of July. And it's not that that's not a good thing, it's not that it's not a big thing and a big deal, it's just there's something so much better. (laughs) Like, we gather on a Sunday morning because Jesus Christ was resurrected on a Sunday morning. Every week we gather to celebrate that. Every week we gather to celebrate something so much greater than anything that's ever happened in your life or mine. You know, 2,000 years ago that he was dead and he came back to life. And so when we come and we thank God for all sorts of good gifts in our family, in our country, in our lives, we acknowledge those things as gifts under the umbrella of, hey, the only reason this really matters is because Jesus is alive. And we're here to worship him today. And so I just, I pulled out, Three quick verses here as we're starting that just I felt like were really relevant since the 4th of July is on a Sunday for us to say, here's the way we celebrate this today under the umbrella of worshiping God and thanking him for what he's done in Jesus. So this first one, in John 15, 13, uh, this was Jesus talking, oh, one more note. About 10.30 last night, this is what happens when you get back from a trip. About 10.30 last night, I found out that my iPad had decided to stop pairing with my Apple Pencil so I can't write on it. So I've got this other stylus, but it means that I've got to scroll up with two fingers. You don't care about all this. I'm going to make all kinds of marks on this screen today that aren't supposed to be on the screen because I keep trying to scroll with one finger. And then uh, also, it's going to be even sloppier than usual, all right? Because I'm writing with this big fat tip. It's always bad, but it's going to be even worse. So let me try this again with two fingers. John 15:13. this is Jesus talking. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so on a day like today, we say there are lots of people who have laid down their lives so that we can be free in this country, both to initially bring about that freedom and then to protect it. There goes that stylus. (laughs) See, that's the other thing. This one is magnetic, and it just sticks. This one just flings. (laughs) But um, initially to... uh, secure our freedom and then to protect it for, you know, almost 250 years now. And so Jesus honors that. He says this was a great love and a great sacrifice. And so we can honor that today and be thankful. But then we also want to say this is a reflection or a shadow or an echo of the greatest sacrifice. The reason that this is so honorable that people would die for their friends, die for people who are like-minded, die so that one nation can experience political freedom in this life, on this earth, the reason all that is honorable is because Jesus did more. Jesus did something even greater. He didn't die for one nation. He died for every tongue, tribe, people, language, and nation on earth. And he didn't die just for political freedom. He died 
for spiritual freedom and not just on this earth in this life, but for all eternity. And so we come today and we're thankful and we honor these people the way that Jesus did. But we also say Jesus is better and Jesus is more and Jesus is greater. And this matters because of Jesus. The second verse that came to mind for me was in Galatians 5. In verse 1 it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then Paul goes on down into verse 13 when he's developing this thought. He says, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. And what struck me here was just the thought of on a day when we celebrate freedom, and we should, Jesus came to set us free, beyond just politically but spiritually, but a day when we celebrate freedom, Paul and the book of Galatians and the Bible pushes us to say, hey, the most important thing is not just whether or not you're free. The most important thing is what do you do with your freedom? Because Paul's saying, hey, if you're free, but then you use your freedom just to serve yourself, to indulge the flesh. Flesh is self. It's me. If freedom is always about me, that I grab hold of my freedom and all I want is to demand my rights and what this means for me and what you owe me and what you have to do for me, we're missing the point of why Jesus came and died and why Jesus set us free. He says, rather serve one another humbly in love, that we would look at our freedom and say this great gift that we have, yes, in this country from God as a gift from God and, and even more this great gift that we have in Jesus, do I use it to love other people? Do I use it to serve other people? And I think this is always a challenging word for all of our hearts because it's really easy for all of us to always be about me and about self, to be self-centered and selfish. But especially in the past year, year and a half, wherever you are politically, wherever you are with all the stuff going on in the pandemic, I feel like one of the ways of just like, hey, here's your heart. Is your heart Galatians 5? I think that in both camps, with the pandemic, we've seen people say, okay, my freedom means that I can demand my rights. And it's either I demand that everybody else wear a mask, get vaccinated, do this, change their routines for my sake, or it's I demand that nobody can tell me to do any of this because of my freedom and my rights. And do you see how, like on both sides, whatever you think politically, we're missing what Jesus says spiritually. Yeah, you're free. Yes. Now we use your freedom to love one another. We use your freedom to serve one another humbly. We use your freedom to make Jesus. Now, will Jesus be more important to you than politics? Will this be about Jesus and about love and about serving? Because that's why he set us free. That's how we honor a sacrifice. That's how we honor him. That's how we worship him with our lives. That there's just it's just there's a bigger picture going on, and most people aren't aware of it. Right? Most of us live like this world's all there is and this world's all that matters, but we know the truth. He's told us the truth. He's opened our eyes. He's revealed this to us. There's more going on, and it's about him, and it's because of him. Will we live that way? Will we use this great gift of freedom that he's given us to make him known, to love like him, to live his life? to let him live through us and love through us, will we be so different that nobody can figure out what box or what category we go into? Right? Because we're, we're like Jesus <laughs> and not like this or like this or like this or not disengaged because he's living in us. If you use your freedom 
to serve one another humbly in love, I promise you the world will not have a category for you. And they'll start to ask questions. Why do you love that way? Why do you serve that way? How do you forget yourself so easily in humility? And then Jesus is the answer to those things. And then the last verse that came to mind today is in the book of Job. And this is Job talking. And the book of Job is a weird book if you ever go and read it because Job's friends talk for a whole lot of the book and they say a whole lot of things that are wrong. And so if you're not careful, you can read like entire chapters of the Bible and you're reading something that's wrong and not true. Because you get to the end of the book and God shows up and he rebukes those three friends and he says, you have not spoken of me rightly as my servant Job has. So then you've got to back up and read everything the friends said. Okay, God said all this is wrong. And then you read the stuff Job says and he said, God said this is right. So this is Job talking, so this is a good one for us to pull out. This is something that Job says about God in chapter 12. He says, God makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. And just as a reminder, number one, for hope. If some of you are discouraged or disappointed or frustrated with things going on in our country right now, that this country exists primarily because God chose for it to exist. Anytime that a country comes into existence or a country comes into greatness, God is the one ultimately sovereignly behind that. And there's a word of hope in that for us, that God has purposes for this country being here right now, and we can celebrate that today, and we can thank him for that, and we can ask him to keep leading us in that. And then also, there's a word of humility in this for us, because what I just said about this country is true about every other country in the whole world. God makes nations great. God destroys them. God enlarges them. God disperses them. He's sovereign over every nation that exists, and they all exist for his purposes, different purposes sometimes. You know, we saw him raise up Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, not because Pharaoh was good, but he made Pharaoh great so that he could harden Pharaoh's heart and then show his glory by delivering the Israelites out from slavery to Pharaoh. That he, he raised Pharaoh up for his purposes, and Pharaoh didn't deserve it, and then he destroyed Pharaoh for his purposes. And so there's this place of saying, thank you, God, that this country exists because it is from your hand. And thank you, God, for the freedoms that we enjoy here because they are blessings from you. They are grace from you. And when we celebrate them today, we celebrate you. That ultimately we know that all of it is in Jesus because of his, it only has significance because of him. And then most of all that we would come and say, so now help us, live in us by your spirit, work in us so that we would use the gifts and the grace that you have given us for your purposes, the reasons that this country exists. Let us live that out boldly and freely to make Jesus known that we have opportunities to do this and ways to do this that, that aren't common throughout history, around the world right now. Let us not just turn all of this in on ourselves and show up and be comfortable and say, glad we get to sit in here and worship freely. That's not what it's for. Let us make him known with what he's given us. And so those, that was just on my mind. This is what happens when I'm gone for two weeks, right? <laughs> so that's all at no extra charge. Now, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. We're going to text through this. We're going to start in the very beginning of chapter 1. I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 5. So it's a big chunk. I know there's 
probably literally 100 truths about God we can pull out of this, okay? And it's all right if we don't cover all of it today. We'll come back and pick up what we need to. But I'm going to pray for us. The T in text, talk to God, that we would acknowledge we're dependent on you. You're the only one who can do this. Father, we want a spiritual work to happen during this time in our hearts, and you have to do it by your spirit. Then we're going to encounter God in his word. As I read, please be listening. This primary question, what does this teach us about God? What are the truths about who God is, how he works, how he interacts with his people that we see in this section of 1 Corinthians? And then second, secondarily, what's God teaching us about us? That in relation to him, whether we're with him or without him, what do we learn about us because of who he is? And then we're going to examine our hearts and ask him to speak application to us. And I think there's some really relevant application right now for us as a church, just where we are in the life of the church during this transition time. And then we'll pray again at the end and ask God to do this work in us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll read this section of 1 Corinthians. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your Spirit, from your Word, as only you can. Father, we need you to do this. Open our eyes spiritually to see the truth of who you are. And open our hearts spiritually to receive your teaching, to receive your work, to be changed and softened and shaped by you. Please pour out your spiritual power to build your church and to make us your people and to keep making us into the likeness of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We'll stop there for today. Five verses into chapter two. You probably already see why I thought this was a good place for us to be the next few weeks, or maybe for the rest of our lives. But... 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, what stands out to you? Truths about who God is and also what he has to say to us. God is faithful. That's not horrendously sloppy, is it? God's weakness is stronger than our strength. So why would we ever trust us instead of him? (laughs) This God is faithful piece right here. This is just the introduction to the letter. And uh, notice 
Paul starts with his thanksgiving prayer right here in verse 4. I always thank my God for you. But the reason that he thanks God for them is not something about them. Because of his grace given you. I thank God for you because of what God's done for you. It says God, when I say that everything in the Bible is about God, that we have to come asking what's this teach us about God, you can't see it any more than in a prayer like this right here where, God, where Paul says, everything about you that I'm thankful for, I thank God because it's his grace in you, it's what he's given to you, it's what he's done for you, that's the stuff I'm thankful for. It's all of God in you and God for you and God to you. That I, All the stuff about you, I'm just assuming here, all the stuff about you that's not from God, I'm not thankful for that stuff. <laughs> right? That's what he's saying here. I do thank God for you all the time, but here's why. Because he's doing something good in you, a gracious work, and his grace, this is the best part about this first section here. You've been enriched in him in every way, and what he means in every way when you come down here, look, Currently, present tense, you don't lack any spiritual gift. But also, in the future, he's going to keep you to the very end. Like everything right now in you that I look at, and there was a past tense one on up here too, have been enriched. So from the very beginning, when you believed in Jesus and God poured out his spirit and his grace on you, God did something for you that in the past I can thank him for now. And now, in the, the present, you don't lack, right now, any spiritual gift. What you need to be his people in his church, he's giving you. And he's going to keep you firm to the end. Past, present, and future. He, that's what it means that God is faithful. When we say God is faithful, God has done everything you need him to do by his grace. And God is doing everything you need him to do right now by his grace. And God will keep doing everything you need him to do from now until the end by his grace. And you can trust him because he's faithful. And his weakness is stronger than our strength. If he's the one doing this work, it's better than anything we could ever do. What else stands out to you about who God is? Oh, good deal. We did read a lot today. All right, I'm just going to go left to right. What was the first one? I did it. God can use Anyone for his good. And the rest of that was no matter where they come from. And I'll just summarize about who they are. That's in this section down here towards the end of chapter 1 right there. Let's start here instead. There. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So he's writing to this church and he knows them. Not many of you were wise. This is not who God called. Not wise people. Not many of you were influential. Not who God called. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not who God called. What did God choose? Foolish people. <laughs> weak people. Welcome to church today and happy Independence Day, you foolish, weak people. Lowly, despised, things that are not influential, right? How many of you are of noble birth? I'm not. I'll put my hand back down. No kings, queens, princes, princesses in here? 
the Duke even? How many of you how many of you have a Nobel Peace Prize? Any Rhodes Scholars in the room? And it's okay if, if one of you is. Like it's, we're not kicking you out because of it. How many of you are really, really powerful politically in our country? You want to get stuff done, you just pick up the phone and call the president. This is us, right? Thank God that you don't have to qualify with your power or your influence or your significance or your strength or your wisdom in the world. Like, thank God that he doesn't have this standard. He says, if you live up to this, you're good enough for me to love you. You're good enough for me to choose you. It's not, he says, as a matter of fact, I'm looking for the nobodies. Like God, his heart is pulled toward nobodies and nothings, despised and rejected. The people that the world doesn't want, that's who God chooses. Why? Somebody tell us why when we get to the end of this chapter. Paul gives us two reasons. Right. First reason right here. So that no one may boast before him. I did it again, by the way, over here. There we go. God wants nobodies. Let's do that. And then God is destroying pride. But there's a reason even beyond that. We already had the so that no one may boast before him. Now, therefore... Why doesn't he want you to boast about yourself and your wisdom and your strength and your qualifications and your power? What's he want you to boast about? Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. There's something so much better for you to boast about than you. If you spend all your time looking at you and thinking about how good you are, you're missing the one who's actually good. You're missing the one who's best for your heart. You're missing the best thing that you can ever have and admire and love and boast about, and that's God himself. And so in his grace, he comes into our lives and he crushes everything in your life that you would boast about about yourself. He strips it away. He grinds it down to nothing. And when you've got nothing left where you can point to yourself and say, well, this is why he would choose me. This is why I'm good enough. Look what I have, Doth. He's like, no, I didn't choose you for any of those reasons. You were weak and you were foolish and you were rejected and you were despised and you were nothing. But now, this is what God's saying to you. Now look to me and see, see my strength. See my wisdom, see my grace, see who I am, and boast in me and let your heart be satisfied in me. Because boasting in yourself, it'll never satisfy you anyway. It'll never be enough. Like all that happens when you're proud is you feel this continual pressure of, I've got to live up to who I've are. I've got to impress people more. I've got to make myself look even more impressive. I've got to be more powerful and more wise and more influential and more rich and more, and it'll never be enough. It's like this vacuum inside of you that demands more and more and more. And God says, I can satisfy you. I am enough. Boast in me. Find your joy in me. Give your worship to me. Look to me. It's the love of God 
that he would set this whole thing up in such a way where you will know it's not about you and you'll know it's about him. Where you will know there's no way that you can look at yourself and say, because of fill in the blank about you, because I was good enough, because I came to church enough, because I memorized enough Bible verses, because I gave enough money, because I was wise enough, because I was influential enough, because I was... No! There's nothing in you. It's not in you. It's in Him. It's because of who He is. And so we boast in Him. God can use anyone for His good, no matter where they come from or where they are. God wants nobodies. God is destroying pride. That was one here, and there was one here. Who was next? I know I talked for like five minutes, so you already forgot who was talking, but... God brings unity. Back up here earlier. By the way, if we were to work our way through the whole book of 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, which Paul had started this church. He planted it on one of his missionary journeys. It starts. He goes on to start more churches somewhere else, and now he's hearing about all these problems that have come up while he's been gone. So he writes this letter to address all the problems, and if you work through the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians, they've got a lot of problems. This can give us a lot of hope, by the way as a church, when he can start this way. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He still has something that he's thankful for in this church because he knows God's faithful and that God's grace is producing good things. Even though if you read the rest of the letter, you'd be like, he's thankful for that church? Okay, so you can look around and you can say, we're a bunch of nobodies and a bunch of nothings and I have no idea how in the world we could ever make a difference in the world for Jesus. He said, well, that's exactly who God uses. This is exactly where God's grace works. This is exactly how we can be thankful. And so the first problem that Paul brings up here, out of all the ones he's going to list, is that they're divided. They're arguing with each other. They're disagreeing with each other. And specifically, what are they disagreeing about? Baptism in a sense, but in what sense? Ooh, there we go. They were identifying with their leaders, and sometimes their identification was which leader had baptized them. And they were saying, hey, I follow Paul. Like, I, don't, I don't know that Apollos came after Paul and was teaching in the church. I don't know this Apollos guy, but Paul, he's the one that baptized me, or Paul, I was here when he started the church. Paul's my leader. And then the others are coming along. Now, Apollos, listen, Paul, he wasn't a very good preacher, wasn't very good looking, he wasn't very charismatic. But Apollos, he's this silver tongue, just he can speak all day, and I can listen to him all day. I follow Apollos. And then some of them are the grass that's greener on the other side, guys. Paul and Apollos have both been at Corinth. But they've heard about Cephas. That's Peter. He's never been there. But like, we actually, we like the guy we've never had. <laughs> you know, the, the guy at those big churches in Jerusalem, that's who, we get online and listen to him all the time. Seriously? And then... I follow Christ, sounds right, except evidently you've got these self-righteous ones who are like, I know better than all of you. I follow Jesus. And they don't, Jesus isn't a humbling factor for them. Jesus is a source of pride. They're like, I've got it right when they've all got it wrong. Listen to them talking about Paul and Apollos and Cephas. And Paul says, 
Would you use any of his servants, Paul, Paul, Cephas, all servants of Jesus, would you use any of his servants to divide the body of Christ? Like, is Christ? And then would you use the name of Jesus himself to divide his body? Like to set yourself apart as if you're better than everybody else in the body? Christ isn't divided. And none of these leaders were, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. You are here because of Jesus. The church is built on Jesus. The church is about Jesus. Let Jesus be the name that comes off of your lips. And so this is how God brings unity. By his work in the gospel. When we all start to realize together and acknowledge together our complete and utter dependence on Jesus and our thankfulness for Jesus and our worship of Jesus. When this thing becomes about Jesus, we'll be united. Because then we're all focused on the same thing. God brings unity by making the whole thing about Jesus. If you're looking at Jesus and I'm looking at Jesus and we're all looking at Jesus, now we're united. Not because unity's the goal, but because Jesus is the goal. And I, did, I, I do feel this right now, standing up here this week. I don't ever want to be the leader of this church. And I don't ever want you to follow me. And I love Michael. But I know he would say the same thing, and I would say the same thing to you. I don't want you to hold on to him and follow him. And it's not because I want you to switch your allegiance from Michael to me. We love each other, and neither one of us would want that, period just within our relationship with each other. But beyond that, not about him, not about me, it's because I want you to follow Jesus. I want us to follow Jesus. Whoever stands up here, if they preach and teach the Bible, you hear from Jesus through them, not them. It does not matter their personality. It does not matter their teaching style. None of that matters. Jesus matters. Jesus will unite us. Jesus will build his church. This is about Jesus. And so, yeah, God brings unity by centering us on Jesus, by by showing us all what we all have in common, our nothingness, our neediness in the gospel, our dependence on him, our need for his strength to be the answer for our weakness, our need for his wisdom to be the answer for our foolishness. And then when we share that, when we know we have that in common, All of a sudden, it's easy to look at one another in love and compassion and understanding and be united with each other. Yeah, you're a mess, but I don't hate you for that and separate myself. I don't judge you for that. I don't set myself up like, well, I've got the right answers and you don't. It's like, I know I'm a mess too. And I know how much I need Jesus. And so you have my empathy and my sympathy and my compassion, and I hope that I have yours, and we will go to him together, and he will be seen in our lives together, in this church together. He'll be made known. Because we really believe what he says later in this chapter. Yeah, that was me when he called me. He chose me because of nothing in me. He chose me because of him. God brings unity. What else? Somebody else farther to my right. (laughs) The simple gospel. Well... There we go. Is greater than all the world's 
wisdom. The reason I laughed is because I feel like you're tempting me to talk for two more hours. And I'm not going to right now, I promise, I do promise you that. But I thought about this a lot, this section here at the end. And I'll start right here. The other thing that really pulled me to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 these first couple of weeks um, is that by the grace of God, I do want this to be the way that I teach however long God has me here with you. Like I, I don't really want to make you promises because I know how capable I am of failing and falling short. But by the grace of God, I want to promise in one sense that this is what I'll strive to do. And it may not be what some of you want. <laughs> but for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom. I'm not going to promise you that you get a lot of wisdom from me. Not with eloquence. I promise you, you won't get a lot of eloquence from me. And the reason, because if you get my wisdom and my eloquence, then you don't get the power of the cross. It's one or the other. You can either have human wisdom and human eloquence, or you can have the power of the cross, according to Paul. And I think you need the power of the cross. I know I need the power of the cross. And then we go on down here at the beginning of chapter 2, and he says it this way. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what I want us to see. This is what I want us to hear. This is what I want us to know. This is what I want us to love. This is what I want us to live. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message, my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words. But here's the biggest part. A demonstration of the Spirit's power. And the reason for it so that why? Why would Paul say, I don't want to be impressive to you? I don't want your spiritual growth to depend on my wisdom or my persuasiveness or my eloquence or anything that the world would be drawn to. Why? So that your faith won't rest on human wisdom. If your faith, and there is a type of faith that can be built on those, if your faith is built on those things, it's not the thing that we're talking about that's true saving faith in Jesus. It's not a faith in Jesus. Right? It's a faith in Paul. Or it's a faith in human wisdom. It's a faith in human eloquence. It's a faith in a personality and charisma. It's a faith in this celebrity that we elevate up here and we're drawn to him and we come to hear him. And that's not Jesus. He says, I want your faith to rest instead on God's power that the Spirit would do what only he can do. That you would come every week and the only reason anything of significance happens is because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and helps us encounter God during this time. And that's why it doesn't matter who stands up here. It doesn't matter if they write really sloppy with their terrible stylus this week. 
It's not about what we see or what it looks like or the impressive production or the emotional frenzy that we can work ourselves up into. It's not about that. It's about an encounter with God where His Spirit takes His Word and He does something inside of His people and He's changing us and He's living in us and He's making us who He calls us to be and giving us everything we need to be that. And I know when I came to you, I was at the most broken and darkest point of my life because of my own sin. Not just my inability and my insufficiency and my inadequacy, but also because of my failure and my sin. And I have gotten to experience, by the grace of God, the idea of standing up here with weakness and great fear and trembling. And thinking, God, I shouldn't stand up there. I I don't have anything to offer anybody. And somehow he keeps telling me that's exactly why I want you to stand up there now. Maybe finally I'll get out of the way and you can have Jesus during this time. Maybe finally each week we'll come and we won't look to a person who's standing here but we'll look to the word of God. And maybe we won't depend. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church in North America. We, we just, it's our, our celebrity culture, our, our tendency to exalt the person who's up here and be drawn and build a crowd around that personality and that charisma that replaces Jesus and replaces the foolishness of the cross and the weakness of the gospel. That we, we don't want foolish and weak in our heroes. Right? We want wise and strong, and I'm just, I just want you to know, week one, I don't, you're not going to get that from me, but I don't have the intention of trying to give it to you. I am foolish, and I am weak. I need the wisdom of God and the strength of God, and you need the wisdom of God and the strength of God. And I want us to see him together. I want us to come to him together. I want us to be united because we're coming to him together in need of him, dependent on him. And so I don't promise you well-alliterated, impressive outlines. And I don't promise you really eloquent sermons. I don't even promise you a whole lot of catchy illustrations. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes I realize we go a whole hour and I didn't give you any at all. But I promise you by the grace of God that we're going to encounter God in his word together. We're going to depend on the spirit together. We're going to ask him to do something that only he can do. The simple gospel is greater than all the world's wisdom. Here's the last thought I had about this. And you all, you've done what you do so many weeks. Like Everything I've thought about before the week started, you are saying it this morning. And I know we can, I know we can pull a hundred more things out of here. But I feel like Paul's telling us there's basically two approaches to your life, but to the church in general, to ministry. How's the church going to be? He's talking about he as the church planter and the lead preacher and teacher. How is he going to build a church? And there's this approach of worldly wisdom and worldly strength and eloquence and persuasion. 
You can build one that way. And it will not be built on God's power. Or there's this approach of humble confession of weakness and brokenness that Jesus and Jesus alone would be sufficient. That the simple gospel would be the greatest truth any of us have ever heard. And that our lives would be built on the sufficiency of Jesus. The strength of God and the wisdom of God shown in the cross of Christ. And I, I think many times in the North American church, because of our flesh, because of ourself, because of me, we choose this. The worldly approach, worldly wisdom, and worldly strength. I can, here's the formula, right? Let's have some really good programming and the facilities to match. And what I mean by that especially is really entertaining kids' ministry and a really cool student ministry because then the parents are going to come and the, the grandparents will probably come if the kids are here. That's number one. Number two, let's have entertaining, emotional music that we call worship. And number three, let's have a high-octane, charismatic, big personality that stands up here and makes people laugh and feel good and cry, and we all feel connected to him. Let's build a church. We need the Spirit of God. We need a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We need the Word of God. And we need those things that work in the people of God. And you can take or leave the rest of it. I really believe those are our choices. I want to see what God does through this. This, is his, this rests on man's wisdom. This rests on God's power. You can look anywhere, in the, you don't have to look at the church, you can look anywhere in the world and you can see what human wisdom can build. I'm tired of seeing that. What does God build? Let it rests on his power and his spirit. What would it look like if we really believed the simple gospel enough to let go of the rest of it, to let the rest of it be stripped away and say, I'm not drawn, I don't want that, I want him. I want him, I'm coming for him, to him. So I know I stand up here every week and we, we text through these passages together and I really push you, okay, are you learning to feed yourself? Are you doing this on your own, day in and day out in your daily life, coming to God and saying, will you speak to me from your word right now? I'm going to read it. What, what will your spirit say to me? And asking, what's this teach about God? Are you doing that on your own? Are you doing that with other people then out in the world? Like what if the answer was, in every area of our ministry, we said, that's what we want. We want the spirit of God to take the people of God and help us encounter God in the word of God. And so you start asking, what does children's ministry look like? It looks like that. Let's teach our children to study the Bible. Let's make disciples who study the Bible that way. What does our student ministry look like? It looks like that. Let's teach our students to study the Bible that way. Let's teach our students to engage their friends in studying the Bible that way. What does a men's ministry or a women's ministry look like? It looks like that. That we have groups of men getting together, studying the Bible together in that way, asking the Spirit of God to speak to us and work in our hearts and make us into what he's showing us. What does women's ministry look like? It looks like that. That we get groups of women getting together, studying the Bible in that way. 
What does the church's outreach ministry look like? It looks like that, that all of us leaving this building and doing, like really, really actually believing the Word of God and the Spirit of God are enough for the church of God. So let's go be the church of God and the people of God in the world. Here's the thing. I know you think, I, I, I can't do that. I, I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not persuasive enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't have enough answers. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's who he picks. I know you can't do this. I can't do this. This is how he does this. Will you actually believe him that the simple gospel is greater than all the world's wisdom? Do you think he just might actually build his church this way? He might just change a whole community this way. He might just change a whole nation this way. He might really make worshipers of every tribe, tongue, people, and language this way through people who can't do it. Will you take that risk this week? Will you believe him for that this week in your life? Let me tell you three quick stories of what I think this looks like. Because this means that when we're shifting from this, like here's what we all expect and want in church, and what we're all drawn to, what every church is competing to be is all this, to this. Have God pour us out. Like break us so that your power and your wisdom and your strength are shown. The, the shift, it's a big shift in mindset. Because now we're not trying to build a kingdom here. We want to be part of his kingdom that he's building all over the world. Like it's not about how do we get as many people as we can gathered in this barn once a week and they enjoy their time and then they go live their life. Like it's not that. Like we come together here during this time, yes, to be fed, to be equipped, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, but then to be sent out, to be the church, to be his, like that he would use us in this way. And so it means we've got to change the way we think about what church really is because he's saying it's something different than what we think. I really believe that. The three quick ones. Number one, a couple of weeks ago, this is, this is the children's Bible that we use with our girls at night. There's lots of good ones out there, but this one's fabulous. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you have kids, I strongly encourage you to use this with them. If you don't have kids, I strongly encourage you to use this for yourself. <laughs> this is written from the perspective of what's this teach us about God? Every story, Old Testament and New, ends with it's pointing to Jesus in some way. What do we learn about Jesus in these stories? So it's already built to text this way. But anyway, a couple of weeks ago, Sydney's getting old enough where she likes to read the stories now. And she read us, it was a story in the Old Testament. I don't remember which one it was now. She reads us the story. She closes the Bible. She looks at me and she goes, what's that teach us about God? <laughs> and it's like, that's victory. Do you know what it's like? To have an eight-year-old girl that knows this is the way we read the Bible? That is a victory. That's the kind of thing we want to measure. That's what we aim for. It's not that your kids will think that you have all the answers, and it's not that your kids will memorize all the answers that you give them. But that they would come and read the Bible, and they would say, this is about God. What's God teaching me about himself right now? Second one, I've got a buddy that we meet fairly often during the week, and we've been texting through the book of Galatians lately. And he doesn't come to this church, um, but he's just texted me, I guess it was last week, it may have been two weeks ago, and he's gotten involved in international ministry at one of the colleges around here. And he was sitting down with a guy who was an unbeliever from another country coming to college here, and he just texted me, he said, hey, I just want you to know this text thing is really helpful. I want you to be encouraged. I was like, thanks, what are you doing? He was like, well, he's an unbeliever, 
And we just started in Genesis 1 through 3. And we're texting through Genesis 1 through 3 asking, who is God? And then we're going to go to John because, you know, in the beginning was the word, connects right to in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how John 1 starts. But he said, and he said I want to get him to Jesus as fast as I can. Like, this is making disciples of all nations. You all don't know him. He doesn't come to church here. We may never see him. It's not going to look different in our numbers. But every week he gets on and he watches as we text together. And then he's going to some college campus, somebody from another country, and they, they know a little more about God now because of Genesis 1 through 3 and John 1, and they're texting that together. And then the other one, I know Michael told you all this two weeks ago, um, and I had given him permission to, but, but this story, one of our church members, uh, Lou Beltran, he's one of my really good friends, but his son has been playing in uh, baseball, travel league ball, and he's in the state championship this week. And so the past three Sundays, Lou hasn't been here. They've had games on Sundays. And Lou, they're here every week. But he texted me three weeks ago. He's like, hey, we're not going to make it. Um, I hate to miss worship, so here's what I did. I went to the coach of the baseball team, and I just said, can we have worship Bible study together before the game? And the coach said yes. And so Lou took this, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it started out, it was their players, and then the parents came. Well, the other team saw what they were doing, and so the other team's players and parents, they ended up having 50 people sit around, and Lou sat in front of them, and he said, hey, the Bible's not about you, it's about God. And every story in the Bible is about God. And I'm going to read a story right now, and we're going to ask God to teach us about himself. And they got to have church, just church. Right, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God, with 50 people who probably most of them don't ever come on a Sunday morning. And then he got to do it again last week because they won and they're still in the tournament. And he's going to do it again today. He texted me. He's like, he was like, hey, just church is happening with the Jesus Storybook Bible at whatever field in West Nashville today. <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. Like I'm not, there's no condemnation, but I'm talking about a change of mind right here. If you can't do that on a Sunday morning, you're welcome to come here. But any week you can do that, don't show up here. That's the change we're talking about. When you need to get fed, that's great. When we can come together and worship together and fellowship together, we'll be here for now until God tells us otherwise. In some sense, we'll gather here. But if he's got you there, we don't need numbers here. We don't need a bigger crowd here. We need to be his people and his church in the world and let him use you. How, that's the goal. Like what if in the next year, what if in the next year we believed him enough to say, okay, I don't have any of this. I can't do this. I don't know what it looks like. So evidently that's exactly why I'm qualified. And what if every one of us, every family in this church was having some type of Bible study, community group, house church in our home with people who aren't involved here and we were just saying, all I have to offer you it's the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Gospel of God. That's all I've got. But would you just come and read the Bible with me? Let's pray together. Let's ask God to teach, him about him, to teach us about himself. And so I'm asking you this morning, will you consider believing that that's what God's calling us to do as his church? That that's who God wants us to be? A whole bunch of nobodies and nothings who have nothing to offer that are desperately dependent on him and really believe that he gives us everything we need. And he does everything that needs to be done by the power of his spirit. And because of that, 
And because of that, there's no limit. We can't begin to imagine what God may be about to do. I really do believe that. I really do pray for that. I'm excited about that. And not one ounce of it is because of me or whoever stands up here. None of it. It's because of the power of God and the wisdom of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the Lord's Supper today, the cross of Christ. This is not the way the world would do it. You want to come and save the world? You want to come and set up your kingdom? You want to be the king of kings? You don't do it by having your body broken to pieces. You don't do it by pouring out your blood until you're dead. That is not the wisdom of the world. And if the gospel itself, the very core of our faith, is not the wisdom of the world, let us not build our lives or build a church on the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is that somehow in this broken body he was making you right with him. In this shed blood he was washing away your sins. He was securing your forgiveness. He was making a way for nothings and nobodies and rejected, despised sinners to be loved and cherished and made right with him. This is why he can use anybody. This is why we don't have to bring stuff to the table. This is why it doesn't depend on us. This is why we won't build his church. He will build his church. And he'll use people like you and me. And so take this bread and remember the body of Jesus broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Keith and the worship team are going to come lead us in a response of worship. A response to the sacrifice of Jesus. The grace of God given to you to enrich you in every way. To be all that you need in your life. Yes, today, Sunday at a building where you've gathered for church but Monday through Saturday every moment the Spirit of God living in you demonstrating His power as he lives this new life through you, making you like Jesus, making you into his people and his church. This is what Jesus has secured for us, past, present, and future, all that we need. And I pray that we will trust him for it. I pray that we will worship him for it.
So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then we're going to worship together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, I, right now at this moment, I have this thing stirring in me of there's so much in that chapter and a half that, that we didn't even touch this morning. And so I trust you and I ask you to speak and teach and build your church in ways that none of us ever could anyway. And open up the truth of your word to us. All this week, continue to work in us and make us your people and show us the things about you that we need to see and we need to know and, and bring the power of your spirit to change us by the things that you've said this morning. I pray, Father, that this would not just be a time where we come in here and we say a few things that are true and we write them down and that we've done our religious and academic exercise, but I pray, pray Father, that this would be by the power of your spirit building your church. We trust you to do it. We need you to do it. You are the only one who can do it. And we believe that you are doing it because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, because of his broken body and his shed blood. And so we thank you. And we praise you. And we worship you right now in the name of Jesus.